Good afternoon. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County, welcoming you to the December 2022 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, a monthly live interview show, usually the second Monday of each month, on WPKN 89.5 FM. This month, as many of you are going to hear holiday music, we have invited four leaders of the prestigious symphony orchestras in our region to talk about some of the changes taking place in their organizations, some just changing the guard, but all are facing the challenges of a, shall we say, not quite post-COVID landscape in which audiences and subscribers are proving slow to come back to the orchestra hall. Our guest today feature two music directors and two executive directors. From Greenwich, the new music director of the Greenwich Symphony, Stuart Molina, and from the Norwalk Symphony, the music director, Jonathan Yates. Then from Stamford and its newly renamed Orchestra Lumos, President and CEO, Russell Jones, and from Bridgeport, the executive director of the Greater Bridgeport Symphony, Mark Halstead. Welcome, everyone. So, gentlemen, tell us, uh, let's kick off by your telling us a little bit about yourselves, your role with your orchestra, and how long you've been there. Let's start with Mark from Bridgeport. Well, hello, it's great to be here. I've been the executive director for about eight years. I was formerly a board member. And uh, it's been quite an interesting ride. Uh, We (laughs) started with uh, very little money in the coffers, and we were able to build back, and things were on a great roll. And then came March of 2020, and everything changed. And uh, Stuart, now you're, I think, the newest of our um, orchestra uh, leaders. That probably makes sense. I've I've now been with the Greenwich Symphony Orchestra for just six months. Uh-huh. Um, after a, a search that ended up taking several years because of the pandemic. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. And like everyone else, we're in the same uh, same boat trying to build back audience. But um, it seems like things are going pretty well there so far, and, uh, and I'm enjoying the ride. Terrific. Um, Russell from Stamford. Hi, David. Good to be with everybody. Uh, this is my sixth season uh, at Orchestra Lumos, formerly Stamford Symphony, And it's actually going to be my first season where we'll have a complete series of five pairs of concerts with a music director in place. My first two years were a search. Then we had a designate year with Michael Stern. Ah. Uh, And then we had COVID. Right. So actually the current season, my sixth, is the first one uh, that we have all the pieces in place. That's Uh, terrific. with the rebrand, it's actually a very, very exciting time. Hmm. And Jonathan from the Norwalk Symphony. Yeah, hi, David. So lovely to be with you. This is my 12th season. And um, yeah, we've had uh, quite an arc as well. You know, we started when, when I first took on the tenure of, of the directorship of the symphony. Uh, we had officially closed our doors. Um, oh, really? So I didn't know we, that. Oh, my gosh. And huh. had an gift that brought us back to life um and so kind of muddled through four concerts that first year um <laughs> and been building ever since you know we now have six subscription concerts every season um and uh yeah COVID, of course is like everybody 
uh, yeah. you know, as for everybody on this phone call, has proved challenging. But we're yeah, we're back again with six concerts a season, and things are things are looking increasingly bright. I have to say, that's great to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, so today we've got two music directors and two executive directors. Um, so tell us what an, a music director does as opposed to an executive director. Anyone? Uh, maybe Jonathan, you're, you're on. So tell us a little sure. bit about your role. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's about having an artistic vision for yes. the organization um, and finding a way that the artistic vision really fits the needs of the community and finding a way for an artistic vision to, you know, help the organization to thrive. Um, and of course that is in very close collaboration with the board and very close collaboration with the executive staff of the organization as well. Um, and just all working together to really make what, you know, the, the orchestra give that orchestra that it's very specific stamp and it's specific brand and mm-hmm. work for the community. Um, anybody else on that uh, difference and perhaps the relationship between... I'd be happy to, to jump in. Uh, this is Stuart. Um, I, I think that, uh, I mean, everything that, uh, that Jonathan just said is absolutely on target. Um, I think in an ideal situation when you have an executive director who has uh, who, who shares the artistic vision and a music director who understands the realities of finance and fundraising. Um, things really uh, uh, fire on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not always the case. Uh, I think that the uh, kind of the the way that a lot of people look at this relationship is the the executive director is the one who's saying no, and the music director <laughs> is the one who's saying we need to do this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in reality, uh, it, it doesn't quite work that way. That it's uh, it's two prongs of one uh, one central uh, core idea. Um, one is, is, is pulling perhaps from one direction and the other from the other, but uh, when they're both working uh, in tandem to create a vision for the entire organization, that I think is when uh, really great things can happen. Hmm. Mark, any comment? I think that's a great description when you talk about uh, that. Uh, there's people who say that the, uh, the music director is the music side and the executive director is the business side only. But when the music director has that, and we've been so blessed with Eric Jacobson for nine seasons, he really understands, well, we've got a budget. That's a tough budget. He also has come to me a number of times and say, I really want to do this. And then I have to, I don't like saying no. <laughs> so I have to go out and try and find some more money sometimes. But it's about supporting on my side, supporting the uh, artistic vision and, um, and keeping the excitement going. I think that's the, um, I've always said with Eric, he should be able to come to town and uh, do what he does so well and, and be with the people we in the audience and be with our community and uh, he should be able to do that without worrying about anything so i've taken Mm -hmm. it as my job as often as i can to say don't worry about a thing we're going to have it for you here Mm -hmm. and then of course i say that and i go back to the office and what did i just do Uh, but it has worked out and i think it's worked because of that sort of good partnership that forms we have a wonderful board of directors that's been very supportive of we've gone some directions during covid that were very risky to to move forward with uh, the difference is, I think, w- with us is, is that Eric and I, for a long time, uh, uh, we, we would just talk to each other um, and shoot the ideas around to see what we could do to excite the audience mm-hmm. and uh, to, to step into each other's shoes for a while. So uh, I'd have to say to him, well, budget, budget. And he'd say to me, art, art. And somehow between the two, we'd come up with this 
merger of budget and art that's like an immovable force and a, and a, and a or an immovable object and a, an irresistible force, but they, they merge into something else and it becomes a concert. So quite a collaborative act. It should always be. Now, Russell, you've been, dare I say, conducting a sort of moving target over the last few years. So it's been particularly interesting for you. Yeah, I, I'm just on that last point. I mean, I, to be fair to all our uh, executive director colleagues, you know, the idea that we're bean counters and the thing that motivates us is black ink at the end of the season is so not true. Otherwise, we'd all be earning a lot more money as a counter. <laughs> right. uh, you know, we are absolutely immer- immersed in the, the artistic vision and giving our musicians as much work as possible and bringing music to our communities. Yes, of course, we've got to be sound businesses um, at the end of the day. But, um, you know, that's why nonprofits have surpluses rather than profits. Uh, you know, everything goes back on stage. Right, um, indeed. Um, yeah, I talk about, uh, you know, change. <laughs> this has not been a period for those that are not happy with change. And the, 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 the joy about COVID was how it brought us so much mm. closer to the community. Mm. And really connecting. Our, our musicians made a thousand calls uh, when the lockdown began to our subscribers and donors just to check up on them and say, look, hmm. we're going to be here. Yeah. And that communication and really positioning ourselves now as Orchestra Lumos to, to a wider community where, we've, where our audience and our donors have always come from, but we have actually were, were lax. In, in delivering to them in their spaces and their communities uh, has been really, really satisfying and uh, making a difference. Uh, it's early days, obviously. It's, it's only May that we rebranded. But, uh, yeah, I mean, change, you, you've got to like change in this business right. at the moment, but yes. it's, it's ongoing. Um, so one um, issue that's always struck me is that um, whereas you, an executive director basically runs one orchestra, the artist, the music director um, will usually be associated with several orchestras. Um, can you tell us a little bit of how that works? Anyone? Um, well, I, at this point, th- this is Stuart once again. Um, I'm affiliated now with four orchestras. Hmm. I'm the music director of three and the principal guest conductor of a fourth, uh, that one being down in Florida, the other being Harrisburg, where I've been for over 20 years. Greenwich, which I've just begun, and Lake Placid, which is a six-week orchestra in the summers. It, it, it is a great challenge for me, I have to admit, and it's not so much a question of time as much as compartmentalization, <laughs> um, keeping each yeah. of the orchestra's uh, challenges and, uh, and successes and strategic vision, which are different orchestra to orchestra, um, clearly in my mind so that I can do the work that needs to be done and at the same time be a... Uh, an adequate, if not excellent, representative of the orchestra in the community, which means actual presence, not just uh, doing concerts once a month or once every right. other month. Right. Um, and so uh, it, it is very common. Most of my colleagues um, have multiple orchestras. Um, it's kind of new to me, I suppose, having it to this degree. I've been uh, mostly one orchestra person for a long time. Um, but uh, I, I like the challenges very much. And each, each orchestra has very particular artistic and uh, financial challenges that that they're facing. And I, I enjoy strategizing, finding, finding ways to solve those problems and move forward. 
Uh, and Jonathan, what's your experience? Yeah, I mean, at the moment, I... <clears throat> I'm just working with the two, the Norwalk Symphony and the Norwalk Youth Symphony, and then I freelance as well. Um, uh-huh. You know, I'm a pianist too. Um, yeah, it's, you know, at, at the current moment, I've been really focused on on making the Norwalk Symphony as, as strong and as robust as, as possible. But, it, you know, wearing even the hats of a, of a pianist and a conductor, you, know, it, it, you certainly do a lot of juggling, but you find a way, I mean, as, as Stuart was saying, to... To um, make the, the the artistic vision for the specific organization really just really fly. Right, uh, right. My interest. Um, so, um, I, one, I, yes, Russell, go I, ahead. I just wanted to add. You know, I think there's um, uh, that the whole can be greater than the, the sum of the parts when you have a music <laughs> wearing many hats, mm-hmm. uh, as Stuart will know. Uh, you know, we have Joel Thompson coming with a, a new piece to awaken the sleeper at the end of the season in May, and that's only happened because Michael commissioned the piece in Kansas City, and it was such a hit. And at the last minute, he Joel Thompson narrated his own piece. Michael said, "You have to come and do this in Stanford." Right, Michael so, being Michael being Michael Stern, who was your Michael current Stern, music I'm, director. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, I can see that, that um, you get that extra perspective from somebody who's actually, uh, who is currently working at, at other orchestras. You get that extra colour, perhaps. Um, well, let, fill us in a little bit more about your orchestras, um, like how, how old they are, when they were founded, where they perform, any signature characteristics. Jonathan, can I start with you? Yeah, of course. Um, <clears throat> we were formed in 1939, so we've, we've been around a long Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually only the seventh music director in the the history of that um and um we were founded as a community orchestra like i would say probably many of the 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 regional orchestras in fairfield Mm -hmm. um we now consider ourselves a professional community orchestra (laughs) in that we still have members of our of our community who are dentists or (laughs) school teachers but at the same time this is an orchestra now that plays Mahler Five and plays Rite of Spring and plays the hell out of those. Yeah, I, I, I can attest as I was there, and it was just very a thrilling performance, that the, the Mahler. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much, David. Um, and, uh, yeah, we really love that niche, you know, that hmm. people can see our members at the grocery store and at the same time come in and be totally blown away in our gorgeous concert hall. Hmm. Uh, yeah, we're we're really delighted with uh, what the kind of our our position in the community right now. And you play in the um, the um, Norwalk uh, City Hall concert hall. Yeah, which is right. really yeah. one of the finest acoustic spaces mm. in Connecticut. We're very, 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 very fortunate. Mm. Um, let's move to Mark. Okay, so Greater Bridgeport Symphony. Uh, we date ourselves officially to 1946 when we became a corporation. Mm-hmm. But it really goes back, and I, I put my mother in this story. Sometime around 1937, there oh. was a uh, WPA orchestra in Bridgeport by, uh, conducted by Frank Foti, and they went into Central High School. And my mother, who had never heard classical music, uh, was, she was hooked for life at the age of 13 because oh. of Frank Foti and the, and the Bridgeport <laughs> Orchestra, as we call back then. Uh-huh. But they go back to about 1934. But since 46, uh, after the war, 
it be it, they recognize the need to put a, a, a full professional orchestra in Bridgeport, and uh, so we are uh, we we do pride ourselves as Jonathan does with uh, we've got a great number of local members, and we have some people who come to us and travel from New Jersey and Westchester and other far-flung parts of Connecticut to play with us. Uh, so we have we have a, a great uh, roster of musicians and uh, really great personnel manager who, who knows everybody in the state. Hmm. So we always have the forces needed to, to move forward. And you play in the magnificent Klein Auditorium. Oh, what a place, yeah. <laughs> and we felt a little lonely in there in the last couple of years because there's 1,435 seats. and That's a challenge. And I was yes. saying to you, David, before we started, that uh, last year when we went back fully live in October – of 21 um we uh we went into the climb and there's 50 members of the orchestra on stage and eric was so happy to have the family back and then 400 people showed up in the audience so uh, you think about the percentage yeah. there i mean when the when the orchestra is uh 12 percent of or is it, well whatever small percentage it is or big percentage it is of the the number of people in the audience what a switch but yeah we all felt like the audience and the orchestra were both bigger than they were. It was so refreshing to get back. 400 felt fine. And it's been growing ever since. And we, luckily, I'm not sorry, luckily, I think it's time. We had 850 in the hall this weekend for our, our concert. And oh, that felt so magnificent. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, Russell, tell us a little bit about the history of the, uh, of the, um, in what is now Orchestra Lumos. Yeah, uh, there was an orchestra in Stanford called the Stanford Symphonies way back in 1919. Oh, but, you win the prize, it sounds, sounds uh, like. Well, we're not quite sure what <laughs> happened, and, and, and the, the, the history that we have suggests that after World War II, oh. uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, immigrant members of the orchestra apparently returned to Europe, and it sort of went oh. into abeyance ah. for many years, and, and then was founded again in 1967. Wow. Uh, but really, the orchestra we know today, the, the fully professional orchestra with with musicians from the, the tri-state area, many of them playing on Broadway and the, the, the large orchestras in New York, um, dates to the early 80s. Hmm. Roger Nuremberg was our music director, and we sort of came out of the high school, unionized, and went into the Palace Theatre in Stanford and became a fully professional orchestra. And uh, some of those extraordinary musicians are still with us today, many of them, in fact, incredibly loyal to Stanford. And uh, our tuba, for instance, um, Brian is in his 42nd season. Wow. With, uh, <laughs> uh, and he lives in Philadelphia. <laughs> and he comes up to, to Stanford and, and, and plays all the concerts we mm. can offer him. So, yeah, it's, a, it's a, an incredible group of musicians, you know, literally from the Met Orchestra, the New York Philharmonic, uh, to Broadway. So, and uh, you play in the Palace, which is also a very grand... A venue, oh, a beautiful 1927 theatre. Hmm. Uh, lots of seats. Uh, <laughs> in my <laughs> problem, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's a great space to, to to share with the community. And Stuart, you're still getting to know the Greenwich Symphony, probably. Yes, uh, every day is a is a, a new uh, a new day to learn things about the orchestra. But I do know that it was formed in 1940, mm-hmm. and uh, and it became fully professional in the mid 60s. Um, we, like what the others have said, you know, draw from a lot of uh, people from New York City, uh, some of the best freelancers in Fairfield County. There are some local players as well who have been playing with the orchestra for a while. Um, 
I am only the fourth music director of the Greenwich Symphony Orchestra. There was a remarkably long tenure uh, by David Gilbert, my predecessor, Mm. who began in 1975. Um, and after 45 years in 2020, oh I took a retirement. Right. Um, and the other interesting fact is that for most of that time, the orchestra was run by the chairman of the board, Mary Radcliffe, who just passed away last mm. year. Mm. Um, and so we're kind of in a transition period in many, many ways. Uh, first, that we have a new music director for the first time in 45 years. Uh, and also that it's it's the first time in a very long time that Mary hasn't been pulling all of the administrative strings. And so it's uh, it's an interesting time for the orchestra. One of our great uh, uh, benefits is that we get to perform in the Performing Arts Center at Greenwich High School, which was a gift from the Greenwich community uh, to Greenwich. Um, and it's a spectacular Performing Arts Center. Mm. It's one of the best halls that I've ever performed in, mm. uh, right there at Greenwich High School. Who would have ever thought? <laughs> so um, currently the... Uh, the symphony is run by the brook by the board. Is that true? Yes, it is. And we're talking all the time about how uh, how we want to transition forward. Mm-hmm. I think the board is of the opinion uh, that I am of, which is that we do need to move into an executive director uh, mm-hmm. uh, situation rather than the board running everything. But I will say, hats off to the board. They've been uh, fantastic and. It's a very dedicated group of people who have managed to figure out how to break up the various tasks and do them effectively. Um, But, uh, you know, boards are constantly in a state of flux with new members coming in and leaving. And I think that for uh, stability, it's important to have uh, an administrative staff. But, you know, we'll see how things progress. So far, so good. You know, I have have very few complaints, uh, but uh, it's, it's a proud history that I'm glad to be a part of. That's great. Um, I did want to just mention, uh, not spend too much time, but uh, I want to mention the the fact of youth orchestras. There are a number of youth orchestras in our towns in Fairfield County. Uh, And quite remarkably, Jonathan, you are the conductor both of the Norwalk Symphony and the Norwalk Youth Orchestra. Um, And have they always been in sort of tandem no, no, actually, uh, I think I'm the first person to do both. Um, they are uh, separate organizations. Yes. Um, and it just, yeah, but it, it happens to work out real nicely. You know, to have me involved with both, it means we can collaborate. We do a side-by-side concert every year. Uh, and, uh, yeah, both organizations are, it happen to be real joys to work with. Right. Uh, it's, and if, it's just worked out very well. And, of course, working with young people is critical, it seems, to both our audiences and to um, potential um, players. Um, Anyone else want to talk about their relationship to uh, young Well, I'll jump right in just for a moment. This is Stuart. Stuart. I I just want to say that in in the late 1980s, I was the music director of the Norwalk Norwalk Youth Symphony in Norwalk, Connecticut, (laughs) and it has been a spectacular youth orchestra (laughs) for a very, very long time. Uh, and and they've managed to maintain an incredibly high level. But I'll echo what you said about the importance of youth orchestras. There have been many studies. I mean, we're we're constantly talking about how do you build audience and love of classical music? And the answer has been proven many times over that the very best way is to put instruments into kids' hands and give them quality experiences of making music together. And I think, Russell, you've been building a relationship with uh, youth orchestra. Is that correct? Yeah, this has been perhaps the most exciting part of our, our rebrand and our, our new mission. And 
uh, I'm just to put it in context, uh, before the pandemic, we spent about $40,000 a year on education projects. Uh, this season, just beginning, uh, we will spend a nearly a quarter of a million dollars wow. on our education programs. Hmm. And one of the core policies is that we don't locate good work that's already out. So there won't be Orchestra Lumos Youth Symphony um, because we uh, work and partner with a number of, of other, uh, other education groups and Project Music, in Tempo, Greater Connecticut Youth Orchestras, Young Artists Philharmonic. These are just a few of the after school and, and uh, other, other music education groups that we work with where they invite us in to provide very different services depending on what their needs are. Hmm. And uh, because we are able to raise money for our education programs, we don't charge anything for our services. That's great. So we're yeah. bringing great, I hope, great support and, and our extraordinary musicians, whether it's in the classroom or after school or whatever, um, big, big increase in our, in our work here. Mark, you have a bit of a relationship with the Greater Connecticut Youth Orchestra. I used to be president of it. That's how ah, I sort of got again. my job eventually. And they are a great organization, mm -hmm. and they've grown so tremendously. And we have had some collaborative projects with them, and that's always a hope that we're doing that into the future as well. Um, we've actually though, branched into some other areas with youth. Um, we, we're, we're having a, a time starting a program, but we received an, an ARPA grant, mm -hmm. and the focus of it is to mentor Bridgeport High School students, musicians, uh, to the point where when they're juniors or seniors, they might be uh, eligible to audition and possibly play with GBS so that every year we can have a continued of students from Bridgeport on the stage. It's been a hard start. Um, we're finding challenges along the way uh, with, with finding the right students, finding and our mm -hmm. mentors. Are, are willing to, to jump in. Uh, of course, we have a, a good number of people who already work in education, so there's some natural fits. Uh, but getting the program started, we've been working on it for almost a year, and I'm happy to say that just this past week, we've had some of our first really great strides with a percussion program in Harding High School that actually serves all three Bridgeport High Schools, an after-school oh, program, yeah. and we've sent our mentors in. It's going to yield some amazing results in a few years. Mm -hmm. That's our own initiative. So. That's great to hear. Yeah. We're quite proud of that. If you're just joining us, this is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County and the December 2022 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, our monthly live interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Our program today, Symphonic Changes, looks at some of the recent and upcoming changes in the four orchestras in our region. And our guests today are Mark Halstead, Executive Director of the Greater Bridgeport Symphony, Russell Jones, President and CEO of Orchestra Lumos, based in Stamford. Stuart Molina, Music Director of the Greenwich Symphony. And Jonathan Yates, Music Director of the Norwalk Symphony. So, let's get to some of the changes. Um, new music directors. I think three of the four of you have recently been or are currently searching for new music directors. Mark, you're in the middle of a search. Tell us about how that's going. Very exciting. We've identified with Eric Jacobson's uh, great assistance four amazing candidates, one who performed with us last year, Eduardo Leandro. Uh, so far this year, Benj uh, uh, Benjamin Hockman uh, conducted and, and played uh, uh, the Beethoven Piano Concerto Number 1 for us in November. Saturday night, we had Chelsea Gallo, a, a, an amazing young talent from Michigan. And um, we'll have Chelsea Tipton second in March. And then we have a mad scramble to pick one of them in mm. three weeks between then and Eric's last concert on April 8th and put a season together. So 
I and won't the, be sleeping much at the end of March myself, I'm sure. how are the candidates chosen? The audience uh, has a big say in that. Well, I've always put uh, put it this way. We we have two uh, two groups of cousins. Uh, we have our orchestra family and we have our oh, audience family. Right. And both will have a big say. <laughs> yes. And naturally, we, we want to hear from the, uh, the orchestra. We, the musicality has to remain on top, number one. And um, our wonderful group of musicians has been active in, in responding to surveys and making their opinions known. Uh, and our audience, same way. Uh, they're very excited about the process. I think that's per- perhaps why the, the draw is getting greater as the season goes on, because ah. they're very interested in seeing who's coming. <laughs> Eric, great. of course, has been idolized by the audience for, for eight and a half seasons. We've loved him as, as, as from the administrative standpoint as well as the audience. He's very hard to replace, but we're, again, blessed that he's, he's the one that gave us these people who will continue in his mold and build on what he built already. And Stuart, uh, you are the result of a recent search. Uh, what was your experience yes, like in that? And what would you say you're bringing to the GSO? Well, it, it was a very interesting experience. As I said, it took several years, and there were a whole bunch of That's interviews, right. and yeah. I think they did a very thorough search. Um, apparently, there were a lot of candidates, which doesn't surprise me, because these days uh, it, is, it is truly a buyer's market for uh, for conductors. Many people want jobs, and I feel very lucky to have uh, even been selected to be one of the five finalists. Um, I think with me, what they were, what the reason perhaps why they selected me among the others um, is that I come with a, a great deal of experience conducting regional orchestras uh, of per-service musicians, meaning musicians that are not full-time but are paid like all of our orchestras based on how many uh, rehearsals and performances they perform. Um, I understand how to work with small city communities. Uh I'm from Scarsdale, New York, so I know the Westchester Fairfield area extremely well. Um, And uh, and so, but as I say, it it, it always is a combination, I suppose, of skill and just blind luck. And I feel extremely Mm -hmm. lucky. Um, that, that my name was noticed by someone and, uh, and, and that I got the opportunity uh, first to audition. It was a, a very exciting audition week where I felt a really nice connection immediately with the orchestra and, uh, and also to have, to have then gotten the job. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, it's always a, a minor miracle when these things happen, and I think it's going to be a happy tenure. Right. Well, I'm looking forward to come, coming and, and hearing you um, in, Look the, forward in to the near future. There. Um, so, Russell, you went, <laughs> you've been going through constant searches, it seems. Were you hired in the middle of, of a search? Was that right? Or no, just my, after? My, my predecessor, who Barbara Soroka, who was here for 39 years, which is... <laughs> Can't beat that, uh, right? <laughs> ...comes on a record, I think. Uh, she realized if there was to be a new music director, the new um, CEO needed uh, to be right. yes. bond with the... Um, with the new music director, as, as we were talking about earlier. And so I came in in 2017, the 17-18 season, and five candidates had already been identified, and Stuart's right. Uh, I think they did a worldwide search for 180, 180 applicants. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Focused on the board, uh-huh. you know, spent many a weekend looking at videos and, <laughs> and so on. Yes. Got it down to five. That's such a job. Um, and at the end of the first season, there wasn't anybody that, that really uh, clicked and, and, and worked. It's such a relationship thing, as Stuart will know, uh, you know, making that connection. And um, it just wasn't there. So we looked again and we did it slightly differently the second time. We went and hunted and we found Michael Stern, 
and we offered Michael the job uh, the day after he came and did his concert because huh. the chemistry yeah. worked yeah. and obvious appointment. And then, of course, we had to, to, to wait for Michael to, to join us. He was able to do two concerts in the third season, my third season. Uh, and then, of course, as I said, we had COVID. But um, yeah, we're seeing in, in this season the, his, his programming, his connections, uh, his vision about what we're doing, not just at the Palace, but in our small space concerts across the county. And, 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 and really, you know, he was instrumental in helping us find our community engagement and education manager that's enabled us to do this, this new work across the county. So uh, it's, it's vital. I mean, that, that's, you know, I, I, the, the music director really provides the vision and the direction, um, yes, in partnership with the board and, and others, but uh, it, it's a pivotal position. And that's why we said to the, I said to the orchestra, I'm not going to appoint somebody. The board will not appoint somebody you're not entirely happy with. Mm. And, you know, I wanted unanimous sort of view from the orchestra. Yes, Michael is, our, is the right appointment. And it was worth waiting for, obviously. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really important lesson that you know, I worked in an orchestra in, in the UK where a music director was hired over the heads of the musicians. And surprise, surprise, it all ended in tears at the end of the first three-year term. And uh, You don't want to repeat that experience. Yeah. And, and see, yeah. it was, you know, we trust, trust your musicians. They, they know what they're doing. And we, we obviously got very lucky from, from the process. And um, Jonathan can't leave you out. Uh, it's been a while since you uh, succeeded in the search that the Norwalk Symphony uh, carried out. Any comments about the search or? Um... Oh, um, yeah, they, they brought in some wonderful other candidates as well. And um, I think at, at the time there was just a sense of they wanted somebody in for a while to, to really evolve the yes. organization. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. we were in a kind of rough spot at the time, and uh, I was really happy to commit and have been really happy to to be involved in this wonderful growing of the organization. Yeah, that's great. So um, let's talk a little bit about the, co- the COVID experience. Um, tell us a little bit about how you survived that period when there were no audiences and you were struggling to keep subscribers Russell, you started to tell us a little bit about one of your strategies, which was to have members of the orchestra uh, contact the um, um, audience members. Anything else you want to add before we move on? Yeah, well, well part of this, this connection, somebody, somebody very smart uh, said to me, just as COVID hit, he said, look, you've, you've got to make yourself a fourth emergency service. Hmm. Uh, you know, we're suffering, we're hurting. Uh, we, it, it seems a long time ago, but remember how dark it was when, when COVID hit. And within two weeks of the lockdown, we had created uh, the, the Stanford Symphony Channel, as it was called then. That's right. And yeah. we were on YouTube. The musicians were incredible in donating um, videos and, and recordings that they had. We, we did one of those mashups from people's living rooms. We did the slow movement of the Borchardt <laughs> yes. New World Symphony. Uh, and, and we started pumping out a huge amount of material just to stay relevant mm-hmm. and connect to the whole community, not just our subscribers and donors. 
And, and, and then we started recording um, socially distanced, small repertoire. We did two online galas, which were incredibly successful uh, with, with Pinker Zuckerman and uh, Gil Shaham. And uh, very, very uh, good feedback to, to people who, who didn't know us, uh, but got to know us online. Right. And then the, the existing audience had said, you know, thanks for still being there for us. Right. So very, very creative um, moment, really, um, for everyone, I think. Mark, any, what well, are your memories and uh, oh, that how you... We were two days out of a concert. Uh, we, were, we finished the Wednesday night rehearsals. We had a board meeting on Thursday morning where it said, we are going to do this. Even if nobody's in the hall, we were set up to live stream for the first time ever. We said, we're going to broadcast it. Uh And by that night, no, we're not doing anything. And it was a ton of bricks just falling on everybody's head. Mm -hmm. And so everything was canceled. But almost immediately, we we took the the tack that our our mission, our, our purpose is to create music, live music as much as possible. We certainly did, uh, as as just was said, we, we uh, Eric and others, put out small videos right away, but we started working on a couple of bigger projects. Uh, one was that at the end of the summer of 2020, we did a live outdoor concert that was socially distant on a stage in Trumbull where we could have put 100 musicians and 120 in a choir. We fit 38 musicians socially distant with the conductor on an island podium and 450 people in the audience, all 10 feet apart, group to group. It was the feel-good event of the whole summer, and it did so much to galvanize our audience. Even those who chose not to attend were glad we had done it. Mm-hmm. And then we got very daring, and we said, We've never done this before, but we're going to try. And we called our, our season Crescendo because we said we're going to grow during this season. Mm-hmm. And we'll start with, it actually started with a, a video of Eric in a quartet with Debbie Wong and a couple of other principals, and it grew to 20 musicians, then 25, then 35. We did four concerts on the schedule that we would have done originally. So we could say that, you know, November 17th, you were expecting a concert, and we have a concert for you. This is they in had, the concert hall? The, we, we performed at the, the Klein and at the Burton's Theater in, Bridge, in University of Bridgeport. Oh, uh-huh. So we put the orchestra together, socially distant, as big as we could fit on the stage. So that's why it grew constantly during the season. We recorded them, we produced the videos, and the exciting part was we could say to people, you are going to a concert on November 17th, or whatever the date was, at 8 o'clock on Saturday night. So here it is. It's tune in and you have your limited access. Here you go. And we actually sold subscriptions uh, to it. And uh, the audience stayed with us. And it actually, we kept our subscriber base together by giving them the real music. And we kept that going now. It's now an educational project full time. Fantastic. These go right to the schools. So (laughs) something we learned in the pandemic. I could say, God bless the pandemic. Well, that helped us. Jonathan, I think uh, the Norwalk. Symphony learned quite a bit too during during this period in terms of uh, what you could do to keep keep your um, subscribers. Oh yeah, very much. I mean, similarly to everybody else, we did a lot of online content and a lot of collaborations, and you know, we just tried to take the opportunity to do things that we wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Right. Right. <laughs> so. Yes. And for one example, we did in a we did a collaboration with the Maritime Aquarium where we put together a video of. The aquarium movement from, <clears throat> excuse me, from Carnival of the Animals. Fantastic, so yeah. Yeah, art, and we had videos of fish, and I, I found a glass harmonica player in Philadelphia. <laughs> it was originally from Germany. You know, that's the kind of thing you never would have thought yes. of doing yeah. pre-pandemic. So, yeah, like everybody else, we were just 
looking for creative solutions and very fortunate to have some the good granting that we had to get us through financially in a you know financially sustainable way and our audience remained very devoted we were very fortunate hmm. um Stuart, any comments i know you weren't at the Greenwich Symphony well, I, at I'll this just, point. But. I, I, as you say, I, I was a candidate in March uh-huh. of, uh, of 2020, so I knew that I was going to, well, I was supposedly going to be conducting a concert at the end of September. Um, but I did follow all of the things, and, and it was along many of the same lines, and, and those mirrored the kinds of things that we were doing uh, with my other orchestras. But what I, what I will kind of amplify, perhaps, is the idea that, you know, if there is a silver lining to this very dark cloud, it is, yes. is that it did really force us to think about new ways of getting uh, us into the uh, into the minds of our patrons and to show them that we care about them. Um, and in turn, we learned a lot about our patrons and how much they really cared about the symphony, not just about the organization and the concerts, but about the individual musicians. Hmm. Um, and, and that kind of thing really, hmm. uh, it was it was very powerful in terms of uh, coming out of the pandemic. Now we have this the sense that everyone is kind of on the same page. We all want to reach the same end point. Everyone is in a different place in terms of their comfort level um, in either performing concerts or attending concerts. But I do think that that we're going to get there. I'm extremely optimistic because of the kind of feedback that we were getting from our audience. Hmm. Uh, And it also is incredibly encouraging to see in many, many cases how well the boards of directors took care of the musicians during these times when there was no work uh, on stage. They found ways of employing musicians so that they would still be able to put food on the table. Mm. And that, I think, sent a very mm. powerful message to the musicians, which makes them happier to be part of the mm. organizations. And so it, it was it was a very it is. I shouldn't say that it's over, but I think that uh, it has been a great learning experience and in that sense, a, a benefit to our organizations. That is a great message, I think, that the arts are are community is a build, community building um, activity, that um, community is central to the performance of the art. It's not that the, the symphony is, is, is a remote experience. It's really deeply embedded in local communities. Um, well, and right now we're, we're desperate for community. Right. Right. If you All ask anybody what they missed <laughs> during the pandemic, it's being with other people. Yeah, and that's what live performance is all about. So now we're um, we're certainly not out of the woods yet. Um, tell us, and, and I know in a recent conversation, uh, Russell pointed out that we were, I think you said, Russell, we're in the fourth year of COVID um, and we're still, everyone's still trying to develop ways forward. Um, tell us what the situation is with funders, with sponsors, uh, with subscribers. What's the picture with each of your orchestras. Russell, should we start with you? I think um, there's still a little bit of resistance to return, especially for our older patrons who are nervous. Um, you know, the, the, looking at the advocate at the weekend, the numbers are picking up. Uh, we're hoping for a, a, a not too difficult a, a winter. Our next concert at the Palace is not until March, so we're hoping uh, things will have turned the corner. But um, we've taken the opportunity to do some some new marketing on the back of the rebrand, and very encouragingly, you know, we're, we're seeing new people, uh, especially people that were online looking at our things, coming to to want to see the orchestra in, in the flesh, as it were, mm. uh, at the palace. So that's encouraging. As are the small space concerts across the county, which are doing very well, 
And say, um, uh, Russell, say a little bit more about that. I don't think everyone knows about. Well, part about of that. the part of the the rebrand was to go to our audience as much as the audience said they like to come to the palace. They they said to us, "You never come to our church. You never come to our school. You never come to our library. You never come to our mall." So we did something about that, and, and that was one of the reasons behind the, the name change and the rebrand. And so, you know, we, we had Alyssa Weilerstein, uh, the, the cellist, um, mm-hmm. weeks ago in, in Greenwich. Uh, we have a partnership with Westport Library. We have a partnership with the uh, Stanford Museum and Nature Center. Um, we were at the mall here in Stanford at the weekend. Uh, and it's, it's, it's taking music to, to the community and our musicians are incredible chamber music performers mm. as well as great orchestral musicians. And so they work with Michael on producing programs uh, ranging from a double bass quartet that we have in March at Westport Library to standard swing quartets to our wind quintet, our brass quintet. Uh, just doing really interesting programs in local spaces where, 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 where in, in people's own communities. They mm-hmm. don't have to get in the car and drive to, to Stanford um, all the time. Right. So that's that's you know very much part of 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 the of that, the, the audience development because I think what we're all seeing uh, is a slightly earlier than expected turnover in our older subscribers who always say to me, "What are you doing about getting new audiences in mm. and younger people?" I mean, it's an ongoing uh, piece of work we've been doing for decades, but uh, I, I think. COVID has given us a kick to do this work better and faster. And what about um, funding and sponsors? Um, are you finding them coming back? Or are you finding new sponsors? Well, sponsorship continues to be challenging. Um, corporate sponsorship uh, 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 is difficult. But trusts and foundations have been extremely supportive. That's and great of course, to hear. Mm. Uh, speaking as a European, um, the extraordinary amount of of state and government federal support that we've all enjoyed uh, during because of COVID is has, has been essential yeah. to keeping um, orchestra going. And hey, the sky didn't fall; people didn't stop going to church. You know, <laughs> America can fund the arts and right. make lives better, as the Europeans have been doing for a long time. And I, I, I think in Connecticut we we have uh, support here that's very, very uh, from you know truly felt by, by politicians and the, the Arts Council. And, and I think it's important that we say thank you for that yeah. and, and, and continue to encourage uh, those that make those decisions to say, look, we are good stewards of, of taxpayers' money and we pay it back several times over. I know that um, there's going to be a presentation shortly of a roadmap of, uh, for new funding uh, for arts, culture yeah. and tourism. And I think... The presentation to legislators is going to be absolutely critical. Um, Jonathan, um, any new strategies in terms of driving forward out of COVID into a a sunnier future? Yeah, you know, we've actually decided to go big. (laughs) Um, As you know, we started the season with with Rite of Spring and a bunch of contemporary music and Mahler 5. Um, and I, we think it's been pretty effective. Um, we're back up to about 80% of our, our subscriber base. And um, what's exciting actually is we have a, a, a lot of audience members who have never come to the symphony before, like actually a quite significant number. So we think that 
we think our strategy is is working, you know, and yeah. our our is to really, you know, create events, you know, as much as humanly possible, and um, that you know, not necessarily just sort of oh, overture concerto symphony, but kind of right. other ways of looking at that paradigm. And it's, I think, it's actually working pretty well. And you've been great at collaborating with um, other organizations with dance companies and and more which has i think been um, effective in bringing in other audiences yeah i think so too and uh, you know we had dancers for for right of spring we had dancers for daniel bernard Romain's hip-hop work um uh, we're gonna have our collaboration with the new paradigm theater company when we do our concert version of carousel yeah it's it's been a really critical element of our of our growth um, Mark, how about you? What What's working for Well, I you? think the, the big thing is that we kept faith with the audience. And, yes. And I'd say we kept faith with our, our musicians and the audience appreciated that so that we could always say right along, we are keeping them employed. We're, we're, we're helping our musicians as that end of our family. And people reacted very well to that. I think one of the, the interesting things I've seen in with our subscriber base, people who, who might be getting a little older, who definitely would have subscribed for a full season in 20 and 21. Uh, now at 22 and people are coming back, I'm finding they probably, a good number of them will not ever come back. There's a new mindset, uh, unfortunately, that COVID put on things. I probably said very badly before, God bless COVID, wrong thing to say. But saying that the COVID crisis did bring us to, to new ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. But one of the new ways that we have to think is that certain people now we know have gotten used to staying home and will. So what it's helped us to identify is who our true core is, who the true core of our subscribers and our, our attendees are. And that's the, the foundation, the rock that we're going to build on into the future. And uh, so I've, I think we're, we're doing very well this year. Uh, people are are being responsive to us. We have not raised and we will not raise our ticket prices. Hmm. Uh, we are reaching out to, to do an awful lot more in the community, giving out a lot of comps for students and such. That's where we want to – we want that audience to grow in that way and get people to come back. Uh, are because, you finding new new sponsors, new funders? Is some, that, yes, some, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's because of some of the innovative things that we were able to do during during the pandemic. Uh, and and what's really heartening to see is so many of our donors. I see increases individually on them, and in some of our our, our foundations that we deal with, um, we're, we're seeing money increasing. And I think that's a testimony to we are. We are doing more, and like Jonathan said, we've been going big. We're not reducing the size of our orchestra. We <laughs> right. we want people to have a great time yeah. and come out and see a great show. It's the experience. Uh, it is indeed. Um, and Stuart, any comment on strategies yeah, actually, moving forward? I, I've been very pleased with our audiences thus far. I think part of it is is we're, we're in the fortunate situation of a new music director, which always uh, brings in curious people who want to see what the new experience is like. But I think uh, the board and I and the orchestra have been delighted with, with our audiences for the two concerts we've done thus far this season. What's interesting to me is that, you know, when you ask, what are we doing to, you know, bring it, the, the, the answer is we're doing all the same things. If you had asked us five years ago what our biggest challenges are, I would have said, well, our biggest challenge is bringing people into the hall and, and getting uh, funding. And so it, it's really, it, it's just that we're back a few steps in terms of the levels that we were at, right. perhaps. Right. Um, but but the key, I, I've always thought the key is getting one person in at a time and giving them a great experience. If you do that, if you have a concert that's engaging, a concert with beautiful music that's played skillfully, 
um, with with a, uh, a friendly environment that doesn't feel threatening or overwhelming. Right. Um, that that person is likely to want to come back at some point, if not many times. So I want to quickly uh, doing that again. Quickly Sorry. ask you each twenty seconds. What are you most excited about in the remainder of your seasons? Oh, Mark? we've got to say, picking the new music director. It's going to be a busy time at the end of our season. Hard to say goodbye to Eric, but uh, so exciting with the we we, we can't go wrong. Any of the mm. candidates that we've seen, They're Jonathan. Great. Yeah, um, to what I spoke to, events, we're doing a concert version of Carousel, we're doing a concert version of Magic Flute. Oh my, yes. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's a really exciting remainder of our season. Russell? Um, Got to mention Joshua Bell, because he's one of the people so lucky to have him in April. But I'm really excited about this engagement with, with all our audiences, that we're truly living the mission uh, and I think we're going to see that deliver in the second half of the season as people yes. discover what Orchestra Lumos is about. And mm. as Stuart was saying, it's that warm, uh, friendly... Sorry to cut you off. Uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I just... Uh, ten seconds or less. Stuart, <laughs> well, what's I'll coming? I'll give you the generic. I am excited for every single thing we're doing for the rest <laughs> That's of our great. season. Good I, I program <laughs> concerts literally with only music I adore and... I just can't wait for the audience to hear it and like it as much as I do. Well, I can't wait to be an audience member at all of your upcoming um, concerts. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County. You've been listening to our November 2022 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, our monthly live interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Our program today, Symphonic Changes, explored some of the recent and upcoming changes in the four orchestras in our region. Our guests were Mark Halstead, Executive Director of the Greater Bridgeport Symphony, Russell Jones, President of Orchestra Lumos, based in Stamford, Stuart Molina, Music Director of the Greenwich Symphony, and Jonathan Yates, Music Director of the Norwalk Symphony. Hear the show again on WPKN Podcasts on SoundCloud.